Weekly Signals. Join me, Mike Casper, and Nathan Callahan for the best in reality-based radio. That's Weekly Signals. Check out the website at weeklysignals.com. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, our show is about information security and how that relates to privacy. And I am so thrilled because we are having a guest that we've had on our show twice before, and she's called the Privacy Professor, Rebecca Harold. And if you haven't heard her before, she is just amazing. She's brilliant. She's adorable. She's been on our show before. You can listen to the previous interviews. But if you haven't heard about her before, let me give you a little bit about her background. Rebecca Harold is a CIPP, which is a Certified Information Privacy Professional, which I am as well. She is also a CISSP, which is a Certified Systems uh, Security Professional, and she's got about four more CISs and different things behind her name, and she is truly the privacy professor. She has over two decades of information security, privacy, and compliance experience, and she's been named as Computer World's Best privacy advisor multiple times and also as the top 59 influencers in IT security by IT Security Magazine. The program Rebecca created was awarded the 1998 Computer Security Information Program Award of the Year at that year in 1998 and she's currently leading the National Institute of Standards Technology Smart Grid Standards Committee um, on dealing with privacy impact assessments. So she's doing incredible things. And in 2008, Rebecca's blog was named one of the top 50 internet security blogs by the Daily Neetson. And in September 2009, her blog was named a top 100 science professor blog. Now, Rebecca Herald assists organizations of all sizes and industries throughout the world. She's created a range of information security, privacy, and compliance tools, products, and services. And she also offers a range of standard and customized workshops for every industry that you could possibly think of. And what's amazing about her, even though she does all that other stuff, she's working on her 14th book. So, and she writes multiple 
monthly columns, and she creates the quarterly protection information, multimedia information, security and privacy awareness subscription news journal. And she provides effective information, security and privacy tools and online training courses. And you can find out so much more about her at RebeccaHerald.com. And she also has ThePrivacyPetProfessor.com, and I'm sure all of those links. So you can even get ComplianceHelper.com and get to her website. So I am so thrilled that she's joining us again. Thank you, Rebecca. We are thrilled to have you back. Well, thank you so much, Mari. I'm really happy to be back and have a chance to chat with you some more. Well, it's terrific because you are enlightening our audience every time. So let's get started and talk about some of these privacy breaches. Why are are the numbers of privacy breaches increasing instead of decreasing? You know, there's many different reasons for this. And I guess um, one of the main things to think about is the fact that there is more information being created on a daily basis now than ever before, and and much of that information is personal information. And also, there are many, many more places where this increased and growing amount of personal information is stored, and also many, many more times the numbers of other people and entities that are actually getting access to this information. So when you think about it, the, the personal information privacy equation has really gone from being comparatively simple. You know, you have personal information stored in one place, and you have a a very limited and restricted amount of access to just a few people, and this is just a couple of decades ago, to now being very complex, having personal information stored in literally millions of locations and on millions of types of devices and and having very open access to uh, literally millions of people who can get to that information in many different ways. And so the more places that personal information is stored and the more people that have access to that information, then uh, what results is more more um, breaches because you have more mobile information now than ever before as well. So um, this complexity of having more information in more places and being more mobile truly necessitates that organizations be more diligent and put more safeguards in place in many more places than they've ever had to think about doing before. Yeah, you know, Rebecca, I think, you know, you were talking about then, you know, decades before now, the storage devices can can hold so much more as well. So people just keep storing instead of deleting and getting rid of stuff that they don't need. They're also keeping it. So the storage that you're talking about is, is you know, uh, the smaller devices carry more information. So, you know, you've got so much information that people just don't let go of either. Oh, exactly. And, you know, that more information that people have in, in such small devices, too, what, what complicates the fact is that it's so easy to duplicate and make copies of that. So now organizations not only have to keep track of their main repository where they keep all this personal information, but, you know, people have made copies of that and stored it in so many different locations and sent it to so many other people that uh, organizations have a hard time keeping track of 
where it truly all is at within all these different little devices and also in email message attachments and places like that. So it, it truly is hard for companies to to keep track of where all that information is located. Yeah, it's like out of the Pandora's box. And you've got, not only are they just sharing, but a lot of companies obviously are selling this information because information is valuable. It's valuable for direct marketing and, and for target marketing and for all the other reasons, good and bad. For, for And so we've got so much. I mean, you just have no idea where something is. I mean, once it's on the Internet, you you think if you can take it down, even if we if we go to that issue, you know, like you were saying, you have no idea how many times it's been copied. Oh, what? and it can happen in, you know, the blink of an eye. I mean, there's tools out there that people can set up to automatically scan for certain types of information or images. And as soon as it sees, this tool sees that something has been posted, it will snag it or it will make a copy of it. So then the person that has access to it now can then use it later. So, you know, as soon as you put something out there, um, just consider that somebody might have already copied it within milliseconds of it of it being posted out there. Oh, my goodness. Now, these tools that you're talking about, I, I just wonder if if you have these tools that can go out there and scan for certain images or scan for um, certain information, could it be used the opposite way? In other words, could could you do that to make sure that there isn't anything out there out about you and just take it down? I mean, would, you, would, would it work in the inverse as well? Yeah, and certainly there are organizations that try to find that type of information about people to help them, you know, the reputation-fixing type of organizations, and they use those types of similar tools. The problem then becomes when they do find this information, then getting the cooperation from the website owner um, or the person maintaining that site uh, to actually remove it, you know, then you get into, well, who has the right to have it? And I've talked to a lot of organizations and a lot of people that have said, well, if it's posted out on a public site and there was no protection for that information, then isn't it fair game? Isn't it out there in the public available for all to to use if they want to? And And that's something that has caused a lot of problems in many different types of situations. The fact of or, or the issue of who owns information once it's posted out on a, a public site, like a, a Twitter site that has no controls, or on Facebook when you haven't put the controls there. Or with Facebook, you know, what if the controls were changed and the person who owned that account really didn't want to have everybody to now have access to it, and so that information was taken instead. So it's really become a, a complex issue of, figuring out how to uh, protect information and then also how to just find where all the copies of that information is at and control it. I know we had the CEO of Reputation Defender on our show. Oh, okay. So, uh, you know, because that had come up then, and it's a huge problem, especially when there are people who contact me who say these things aren't true about me, it was identity theft, or, you know, how how do you get your reputation back? And he was saying that what they do is they do such a thing that they actually have the good stuff 
come up first on Google or the search engines, and they really can't get rid of this stuff so that they they put other stuff on the first few pages that no one they're hoping no one gets to the stuff on the on the pages 10 or 15 pages down the line right yeah. so that's kind of what like they do it. yes yeah to just yeah exactly which still would bother me i mean mm-hmm. to see stuff up there i've had to help people get stuff off but you you know we've had to use all sorts of different creative laws to take this kind of stuff down when it really is fraud or fraudulent. Right. But, um, but it's, it, we do need probably some new legislation to help us to protect people's reputation because I think it's to the point where people can take things out of context, put it in other contexts. They can take your picture and put it in a picture in a place that you've never been. You know, I mean, there's just really, it's a wild west out there. It truly is, and that's something, too, that people need to think about, especially when they're posting videos or or photos and things like that. Oftentimes, I see photos out on Facebook. I participate in that, and I see photos, and I see multiple people in these photos, and sometimes, you know, you look at them, and you think, well, I wonder if that person that's in the photo knows that their photo has been posted, and I wonder if they would really like having it posted out there for the world to see. So, you know, that's another issue that people need to consider is how is this going to impact not only that person when they put their image on the the Internet for everyone to see, but how is it going to impact the others that are in the video with them or in the photo with them? And that that really comes down to having better awareness and, and better education starting up you know, in our school system about uh, these new technologies and, and how to share information in a, a secure manner and also helping them to understand all the issues involved with protecting privacy. You know, talking about being a privacy professor, I have been saying this, and, and maybe you and I should put together something for the for the elementary schools mm-hmm. about, you know, ethical use of the of computers and the internet and how to protect yourself and being transparent about the lack of transparency out there. So I, you know, uh, I just did an interview with um, Chris Hoofnagel who did a study on privacy and the difference between young people's feelings about privacy and older people's feelings about privacy. And he found that they're actually the very, very similar, especially when they, he starts to ask some questions that reveals how, things are not transparent, <clears throat> you know, that when they know how information might be shared and really understand it, they seem to be just as worried about privacy as, as people of other ages. So I think you're right. I mean, we need to start this kind of stuff in the schools because parents aren't teaching it because they don't know it. Well, exactly. The, the parents don't know. And really, uh, many of the teachers, maybe most of the teachers, really aren't aware of all of the issues involved because they're trying to keep up with just, you know, what they have to do as a teacher to meet their state requirements and federal requirements, and none of those address security and privacy that I'm aware of anyway. But um, I know that, as you do, too, that children do care. I mean, I have a 10-year-old son and a 13-year-old son, and uh, over winter break, why well, I, I took them war driving and dumpster diving here in uh, West Des Moines, which is where we live by, and they were extremely interested in, and they were surprised to find out, you know, how many wireless access points that they could 
get access to just on their own um, Apple MacBooks right, <laughs> as they were right. in the car. And, and they learned a great lesson from that, and I actually had them write up an article to put in my Protecting Information quarterly journal, and they, they also shared their article with uh, their school to talk about, you know, how many networks and people's homes that they could have gotten onto and gotten into the information and all the information that they found just out in open dumpsters about uh, people that they really shouldn't get to. So the interest is definitely there. And uh, I think... And the need is so there. And mm-hmm. I think that's the thing is that so many people are just so unaware. And, you know, someone like you and I are still trying to keep up with it. I mean, I of what is going on and what could happen, right. you know? And then if you think about the people that this isn't part of their everyday career, you know? <laughs> well, exactly. It's it's things they did, just don't even think of, like with the recent uh, photocopier investigation that I think CBS did, you know, how they um, had the one security company out of the um, state of Washington go and actually look at and actually purchase these used photocopiers that had belonged to other organizations, and they found all this data on the hard drives of right. them that had not been wiped out. And, you know, that's, I think that was... And most of those that, companies didn't have a clue exactly, that it was there. You know, a lot of people didn't even realize that all that data is automatically stored on those photocopiers. So, of course, when they're trying to resell them to recoup some of their investment in that equipment, there they go um, unknowingly selling all that personal information as well. So Talk about a good security breach. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, you could be a fraudster that just buys something legally and then has fun using it. (laughs) Oh, yeah, exactly. And and the fraudsters and and the technology, the bad technology guys, they know this stuff and they know what to buy and they know what to do. Yes, they do, and, and the fact is, after it's gone from the company that had them on these devices, not just photocopiers, but also just computer hard drives and uh, smartphone hard drives, Why? once other people get them, there's no really trace of who has that information anymore. Exactly. Uh, so you don't know who's actually using all of that information when bad things show up, you know, months or even years later. See, that's why, you know, I've talked with Senator Joe Simidian, who is our, um, he is the chairman of the Senate Privacy Committee in California, and he was the one who wrote our first security breach legislation. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, he talks about building into whatever technology, he isn't anti-technology at all. In fact, he, you know, he lives in the Silicon Valley, so he's right in the middle of it. But he says that whenever you're building any new technology, you have to think ahead about what are the problems that might happen, the security and and privacy problems, and build into it right there. Build into the architecture of whatever technology you're building protection so that, and and probably really good instruction so that people who use the products will go, okay, before you sell this, remember, push this button and this will delete everything, you know? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it just seems to me that it's, nothing is transparent. I mean, we are just... So in the clouds here, you know, and not knowing a lot of the stuff that has to be revealed, it just seems to me that there there should be more ethical uh, creation of this technology and understand that these brilliant scientists that create this stuff 
ordinary guys like me are going to use it, and aren't, it's going to be hard enough for me to read the directions to make the darn thing work to begin with. Right, yes. <laughs> Security and privacy should not be something that's an add-on or, or an option. And I think too many times, like you're saying, the, the manufacturers, the vendors, whoever's creating the systems and the new types of equipment, they, they're like, well, yeah, we'll put in some features, like you said, and then so they can press a button to activate the security or privacy features. Or they can ask us and we can sell them, you know, the additional component for it. And, you know, that shouldn't be something that's an option. That should be something, as you said, is built in and something that people don't even have to think about. It should just be there for them and, and protecting their information wherever appropriate. Yeah, I'm one of those that believes that, you know, you should have the most protection and then you should have options to opt out of that. You know, yeah. out of opt out of the protection rather opt rather than opt out of not being protected. Because I think most people just, you know, they don't read all the directions. They don't they're excited to get their new phone or their mm-hmm. or their new product and it's so cool and they want to use it and they just don't bother. Whereas if there was something in every product that it said, before you do this, this is what you need to know. Here, now you have this option, this means this and this means that, rather than going ahead and just using it. I, I know it adds time, but um, it just seems to me that the, the dangers are, are way beyond what people can even fathom. Oh, yes. And, and two, the amount of time and extra work it takes to build in those protections, it might seem like a lot at the time, but when they think about the bad things that could happen if they don't put those protections in, it takes so much more time and so much more money to fix problems after the fact than it does to just prevent the problems to begin with. Yeah. And, you know, we have a lot of compliance, and I know you're you're a top woman on compliance, but, you know, what I see is when you know, there is no private right of action for these and and even for security breaches. You know, there are security breaches and yes, it costs a lot of money and yes, it's embarrassing. But I think that the fact that we continue to have so many of them, the the laws that we have that says you have to reveal and disclose, Mm -hmm. I don't think it's working. I don't think it's working because I think, yeah, they don't want to be embarrassed. And yes, I think they're getting better. But I think if there were more um, more teeth, you know, mm-hmm. more enforcement. Because if, if you think that the Federal Trade Commission is going to be able to enforce a lot of this, they don't have the resources and they don't have the money. If you think the Attorney General's offices, which are assigned this often, they don't either. But mm-hmm. if there were, if there was a private right of action on many of these issues, which there isn't, I do think that there would be um, more compliance. Oh, I agree with you. And I've heard from too many organizations, especially here lately, um, been working with a lot of the healthcare providers and also insurers and their business associates. And that's what my compliance helper site is all about, getting into compliance with that. And what I find is a lot of them are saying, well, yeah, HIPAA's been around for several years now, but, you know, they've only really given two penalties. The Department of Health and Human Services has only given two penalties, and then um, the Department of Health and Human Services just announced a few months ago, well, you know, we expect our covered entities and business associates to be in compliance, but we aren't going to start enforcing it or, or providing any types of penalties 
for a little while. And so all of the companies that I've talked to, primarily small and medium-sized, are like, well, if they're telling us that they're not going to penalize us, um, then why should we do it? Even right. if it is a, a law or regulation, if we're not going to get you know smacked on the knuckles, then we have other things we'd rather do instead of security and privacy. Exactly. And under HIPAA, which is the health... Well, why don't you just tell them what that is? Health and, and, um, yeah, it's the Health Insurance, Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. Right, and that people, when you're listening to this, when you go to your doctor, you sign these disclosure statements. It's, they say privacy, this is our privacy statement, but really and truly, you're not that well protected, so it's really a disclosure statement. Mm-hmm. And if there are violations of HIPAA, you are not, you don't have a private right of action, meaning you personally can't sue for damages under the, the HIPAA Act. Right. So that is, you know, what we're talking about as well. Not only are the agencies not going to really slap you on the hand right now, but you don't even have that right to get a lawyer and to protect you and get damages if you are injured by or you have any damages as a result of the HIPAA Act. Yeah, not unless it was they could show it was criminal activity of some sort, you know. Right, but but even if it's criminal, you that would be a that would be the prosecution. It wouldn't yeah. be for civil damages. So it's it's a entirely different thing, but so what let's talk about you were just talking about the healthcare industry and they're not doing so great. So what industries are really doing the best at protecting our personal information? Well, you know, that's interesting and there are certainly subsets of industries that have been addressing security and protecting personal information for quite a while, such as banks, you know, in the financial industry. They've had all sorts of regulators that have been keeping an eye on them for many years, and most of them do a pretty good job of it. And then you have, of course, the health insurance companies that are in both the financial and healthcare industries, and and as a whole, they're generally doing pretty good. But then you have in these same industries, um, the ones that have experienced these huge breaches. And as a result of, you know, just one or two in an industry having a breach that involves hundreds of thousands or even millions of records of customers or patients, then that kind of shows that um, that industry is not doing well. Or it might also show, such as the photocopier incident with um, Affinity Health Plan. They were the ones that uh, this investigation that went on through CBS News found um, over 410,000, I think it was, patient records that were stored on that hard drive. So, you know, they might have had a really good um, security program for all other parts of their program, but here was a huge oversight on their part, not even thinking about that aspect of security. So um, the fact is all, all organizations and all industries still need to do more to protect personal information, but probably the ones that are doing the best are the ones that have been heavily regulated uh, for the longest period of time. Yeah, the financial industry probably is. Probably the financial mm-hmm. And for the most part, I think uh, a lot of government agencies do pretty well, 
but then you have those government agencies then that have like the, the really, Veterans Administration. Yeah, the Veterans Administration, <laughs> and you're like, holy cow! Here's uh, their laptops and with all this personal information on it, unencrypted, getting stolen and lost, and uh, and you know. got healthcare stuff on there, and you've got. Social security numbers and everything. And, you know, the IRS, too. I mean, the IRS has had their, got caught also with their pants down. So, and just think about all the information they have. Talk about financial information and everything about us. It's exactly. uh, Yep. Yep. So let's talk about, you know, people are driving by who are people in industry, small, large businesses, medium-sized businesses. And we also have a a wonderful business school, an MBA program here at the University of California, Irvine. We've got a medical school. We've got a law school. So let's talk about really overall for all industries, what do all industries need to do to improve protecting personal information? Well, you know, ultimately um, the awareness and training and understanding what puts personal information at risk is really something that all organizations need to address first. Um, and it's a tough question because there's so many different issues. Now, um, if I'm talking about what they can do to address security and protect privacy better, they really need to do six core things within their security and privacy programs. They need to establish, first of all, a position or a person within an organization that has ultimate responsibility for making sure that personal information is protected and that appropriate safeguards uh, that are comprehensive throughout the entire uh, cycle of the information from the time you obtain it until the time that you dispose of it and no longer need it, that that's taken care of. Now let me ask you something about that one. I think that's a really, really important one. Um, because I have spoken with privacy people and IT people, and they're starting to come together. But basically, mm-hmm. you can have a lot of security without privacy. Oh, sure. And 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 then again, you can't really have great privacy unless you have good security. Right, right. So um, are you suggesting one person wear both of those hats, or are you suggesting having a, a privacy and an IT person in your organization, or again, if you have a smaller one, I guess you have to have an outside person or one person who does everything. I mean, that's kind of tough, isn't it? Well, it is, and it really depends upon the organization and what what their business is. But definitely, um, you need to have, if you do have a large organization and you have someone who's taking care of just the legal aspects of privacy, um, they need to work very closely with the folks in the IT area and the information security area on all of those aspects of privacy that go beyond the legal issues. And that gets into implementing the protections for privacy and implementing the different procedures uh, that need to be followed with regard to accessing personal information and, and allowing the people about whom the personal information applies providing ways to give them access to their information because there's so many different things that go beyond just, you know, the le- the law and the legal aspects. And that's something that I saw very early on, way back when HIPAA was just passed, why I saw a lot of organizations, particularly uh, health insurance companies, established 
the law department as being responsible for the HIPAA privacy rule, and then the IT or information security department being responsible for the security rule. And as a result of having two different areas responsible for these two different rules that were were different rules and still are, but they depend upon each other and they have so many different overlaps. I saw a great number of organizations have huge gaps in the protections for personal information as a result and uh, just as commonly I saw a lot of organizations have a lot of conflict because the legal department would often say, well, you know, the, the law doesn't explicitly state, and it's just an example off the top of my head, that we have to encrypt our protected health information. So we don't want to invest in the, the cost of doing that here. The IT and the information security area would say, yeah, but if you look at the risk to protected health information in certain situations, such as on laptops, then looking at the security rule that says you have to take that risk into consideration, we really do need to implement encryption on those mobile devices. And I've seen a lot of uh, conflict in organizations where they struggle between what's the letter of the law and what do we really have to do legally versus, well, what's the spirit of the law and what are the risks involved and what should we be doing in order to uh, truly protect the information, even if it's not explicitly stated in the words. Yeah, it's all about responsible information handling, not just what the law says you could do, because, you know, obviously the law is lagging in some places, and we know that, you know, at least if you encrypt, you're you're not going to be having to disclose in most states if you do have a security breach because it's, if it's encrypted, it's supposedly, um, there's a hope that, <laughs> that it's made unreadable. Of course, if you have a dirty insider who has the key to decrypt, then you got a different story. But, but, you know, you're right. So I guess for that first one, you're talking about having a position or positions that deal with both security and privacy. And if you have two different people, they surely better be collaborative. Yes, they definitely have to work together. And uh, where I've seen problems occur with that situation is if you have someone, and oftentimes it is the person responsible for privacy, if they're in the, the legal area and they report directly to the CEO or they're at the executive level and then they've given the information security person responsibility, but that person might be, you know, four or five levels down from the CEO. Yeah. That difference in authority oftentimes creates problems as well. So I like to see the folks uh, address security and privacy and giving that responsibility, if it is going to be given to two different positions, give them equal authority so that they can work together in a way that will be beneficial to the organization as a whole, as well as to the customers whose information that they're protecting. Right. And that's so important. I think there's a huge difference if they report to the CEO rather than like HR. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, what a huge difference, you know, where they've got the ear of the CEO and they can help educate the CEO. And you're right, you know, have them on the same level and then have them pretty high up. I think the problem that I see, and I'm sure you see this even more than I do, is that if marketing 
you know, has the ear of the CEO, then the marketing is often at odds with privacy and security as well because they want to use the information because that's a great way to market, target marketing. Oh, my gosh, yeah. And, you know, I love marketers because most of them are so enthusiastic about with all the ideas they have for using information and so on. But over the years, uh, over the past two decades, I've worked with marketers and have spent a lot of time saying, well, yeah, it would be really cool if we would have a campaign to do, you know, this type of neat thing to send out birthday gifts or birthday notices or other anniversary or whatever. But then you have to keep reminding them, you know, we didn't collect their information for that purpose. And, you know, they might not want us to be contacting them about that, and they might get kind of mad if they knew, you know, that that we were giving that information out there possibly to other people. So that's where it really comes into play, the uh, reminding them of the privacy principles, the um, the privacy principles around collect, which yeah, most when, of the data protection laws are written so right. that they understand that. When you collect for one purpose, you don't use it for another. I know I just, you know, thinking about that yesterday, I was laughing because I got something from uh, Facebook saying, your one of your friends is having a birthday tomorrow. Don't forget. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I thought to myself, that really kind of offended me because anyone who I do want to send a card, I have it in my own outlook. You know, I have it and it comes up and then I can remind myself that I've got to send a card or a gift or something. So it was really pretty bizarre because I don't even do much on Facebook. And here I got something saying your friend on Facebook has a birthday tomorrow. Don't forget to send a card. Yes, and it it kind of takes you aback, doesn't it? I mean, it's like, what? How did they know? And then it's like, oh, they're tracking me in some way. And, you know, that's where, too, I see a lot of times uh, the influence that the folks um, in the marketing area or the sales area might have over the IT folks who's who have to do something because they've been asked to do it, but they might think, well, this doesn't seem right, but yet they're saying we have to do something to to put the business ahead. And as an example, um, there's there's a type of technology that's commonly referred to as web bugs. Right. And web bugs can keep track of not only the different web pages that you've looked at without leaving, you know, letting the people who have looked at them know that there's a web bug there. But you can even put these into documents such as PDF documents, Word documents, and so on, and can track when somebody actually read the document and when they read it and so on. And and uh, I saw an example of this. It's been about 10 years ago, but I like to collect um, the different reports that some of the vendors put out uh, about security and privacy. And I downloaded one, and I just stuck it in my file. I thought, oh, I'll read it uh, some other time. Right. Well, I got an email from that vendor about a week later, and they said, we noticed that you haven't read our report, and we just wondered if you had trouble opening it or if you had questions about it. And, you know, I thought, you know what? They must have a web bug in there because otherwise, how would they know that I hadn't opened their report up? So, Oh, that is creepy. It is very (laughs) creepy. And so, you know, that's, again, where this transparency of what you're doing with regard to privacy protections and security controls is so important for businesses to communicate to not only their customers and consumers, but their employees as well. You know, I'm laughing now. I'm thinking about maybe if you had those web bugs in PDFs where you sent bills to your 
to the senators, you know, if, if they got it, and then you would know if your senator read the bill. Yes, that's you know, a great before idea. you know before they vote on the uh, these big bills like the Patriot, you know, the reconfirmation of the Patriot Act or something like that. That they, you know, did your senator read the bill, and then you would know if you're if he even read the bill or she read the bill before they voted on it. You know. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that would kind of give them a good lesson about privacy, too, and how technology has such a huge impact on privacy. Exactly, exactly. I want to introduce you again because we've we've been talking, and it's just so fascinating for me. I love to talk to you, Rebecca, because it's it's so inspiring and it's so educational. So if you just are tuning in, I want you to know who this wonderful woman who's brilliant, the privacy professor that you're listening to, is Rebecca Harold. She's not only a certified information privacy professional, she is always a certified systems security professional, and she has a bunch more of these uh, acronyms after her name that I can't even go through, and she has just got a wonderful blog, and she's been named as Computer World's Best Privacy Advisor, and she is also a top 59 influencers in the IT security, so she is one of those people that understands both privacy and security, which there aren't that many around that really get it on both sides. And that's what I really love about Rebecca is she is just really understanding of the implications of privacy and security. So let's get back to this. You were going to give the six steps of what uh, any company should, at least the core steps of what any company should do to have a really good um, a secu- privacy and security program. So the first one was to appoint somebody who is both like you, either they, they understand privacy and security or to have at least two people at the head of it who have who are at the same level of reporting and hopefully near reporting to the CEO so they have his ear or her ear. And that was the first step. Um, and the second, I think, was setting up a policy. I don't know if you got there yet. Well, yeah, um, next you need to know uh, what are your policies going to be and, and documented policies. I've ran across so many organizations over the years that, um, that I've reviewed and, you know, did different types of audits and reviews for their security and privacy programs, and oftentimes they'll say that they do have po- uh, policies and procedures in place. But when I ask to look at them, they say, well, you know, it's an unwritten policy. It's something that we've always done, and this is the way we do it. So that's that's our policy. And it's important to know that these policies and procedures need to be documented. So not only can you demonstrate when an auditor comes in or a business partner wants to do business with you that you truly do have policies and procedures in place, but it helps you to handle the very many different types of security and privacy issues in a consistent manner over the period of time that you're going to be dealing with these things. Yeah, and, you know, people don't stay in jobs, you know. Somebody retires or somebody moves to another job, and then people say, well, this was the policy we had, and you don't know if that's really the policy or not. You know, somebody might be telling you it's the policy, and you don't know. So, yeah, it definitely has to be in writing, and it also should be reviewed every year when the new laws come out. Oh, definitely. It has to be maintained, and there should be something that you would document, and it doesn't have to be complicated, but you need to be have something in place that documents that, you know, this person or position or department that's responsible for security and privacy, you need to document what they're doing to maintain their program 
and to help ensure that the policies and procedures truly are being followed. Okay, so so not only do you have to have a written policy, but you have to have a way that you are documenting how you're enforcing them. Is that what you're saying? Yes, yes. Documentation is so important, not only for demonstrating due diligence and also for just the compliance requirements. So, so much of compliance revolves around documentation, but it helps the organization to maintain consistency and to look at, you know, what they're doing and say, how can we improve upon this as our business changes and as the legal environment changes, as our technologies change and so on. And also, when you have a policy and you want the entire staff to understand it, they also need to know how it is going to be enforced. Because like you were saying just a few minutes ago about how these companies, these smaller companies, they know that HIPAA isn't going to enforce this stuff for a while, so they won't bother. Whereas if there is an enforcement structure, then they're going to know, "Uh uh-oh, we better follow this. There is some follow-up here. Yes, exactly. And, you know, mentioning, communicating that information to the, the personnel brings up the third element, which is having regular training and then ongoing awareness communications, because your policies and procedures, no matter how well you've documented them, will be pretty much worthless if nobody knows what they are and nobody knows how to actually implement them or the procedures to follow. So that um, training and awareness is very, very important. And, you know, I'm talking about effective training, and I've seen some really horrible, horrible training out there that's not, well, they call it training, but it's pretty much just uh, doing something just to say that they've done training. But or they've, they've read the policy manual and signed it at the end. I love that one. Yeah, or here's a better <laughs> one for you. Probably one of the worst uh, training modules I saw was a company, medium-sized company, small to medium, and they're in the healthcare industry, and they actually went through and they copied um, and pasted into a few hundred PowerPoint slides the actual text of HIPAA. Oh, no. And, and then they put it out on their intranet, and they sent an email to all of their employees, and they said, go out and go through this PowerPoint, and that's your training. And oh, I'm thinking, God. holy cow, you know, you talk about <laughs> worthless action. I mean, the person that actually did spend all the time doing the copies and paste, uh, they probably <sighs> didn't even get anything out of that as far oh as training goes. <laughs> so, and I know that's one of your specialties. Why don't you talk about what kind of training, as long as we're on point three, oh, sure. what kind of training is the most effective training so that people will really get it? Well, you know, there's many different types of training uh, that people need to consider now the computer-based training modules that uh, a lot of these learning management systems can use and make you know it available to all employees throughout a large organization so that they can go out and they can take a 20-minute, 30-minute module that is interactive and ask them quiz. That that usually is pretty good for. Um, all types of employees is a good overall understanding of security or privacy. But then you need to start thinking about 
those groups of employees, such as your customer service people, your marketing and sales people, um, your IT people who need really targeted training, they're going to have some needs to understand issues that go beyond just the general issues. So you might need to do classroom training with them or more specialized training with different types of computer-based training. Or I like um, video-based training that has also information that accompanies it, webinars or webcasts, podcasts. Um, Something interactive, I think, is the best way, you know, from being a... I started out as a teacher. I don't know if you know that, but I used to teach high school many, many years ago. So I taught for 14 years before I went back to law school. And um, and then I taught at the law school and I teach at UCI. And one of the best ways of learning, you know, is really when you're doing interactive where you actually have to do something besides just sitting at the computer and pushing the buttons, you know, or, or just, you know, filling in the spot and they go, yes or no. I mean, that gets old. Oh, and I completely agree. In fact, yesterday I was at a, a oh, a medium-sized healthcare insurance company. They have around um, 800 people in their corporate area, and they had me come in to do on-site training, and they had me give a 45-minute um, classroom training style of training five times throughout the day. It was the same training session, but it was about how people can protect their own information and protect their own privacy when they're doing home computing. And we had a great turnout. We had a lot of people, hundred, about 180 people showed up throughout the day, and they were very interested in learning about security and privacy and how they can uh, protect their own information at home. And then, you know, when people understand why security and privacy is important for them themselves, yes. then they will understand why security controls are needed at work, and they'll understand why they need to protect their customers' information, because the same issues apply to them at work as it does for their information at home. And so something like that is very effective as well. It is effective, and it's effective that you did it five times because different questions come up, and and when you do interactive work with a group, you're going to get different group members say different things, which makes it so much more interesting Mm -hmm. than just looking at just a video. A video, I think, is better than you know, the computer, but still, I mean, having uh, that live training is so much more interactive. People really take part in it. It it depends on obviously who you have training, but if you have a trainer that is really getting everybody involved and interactive and getting in small groups and doing things like that, then that is really the best training because you're not only hearing it and seeing it, but you're kinesthetically involved as well. So. Oh, exactly. And that's where most of the the package training um, offerings out there right now, they don't get into the kinesthetic type of learning. That's more, They pretty much do basically the visual, yes. and some go a step further to the audio, but that kinesthetic learning level oftentimes is not reached. No, no. I just want to introduce you again. We are speaking with the privacy professor. She is an expert in security and privacy, Rebecca Harold. She's been on our show before. She has written so many books, 14 books. And you can learn more about her and her blog. You can go to Rebecca Harold. That's H-E-R-O-L-D dot com. You can go to the privacyprofessor.com. You can go to 
twitter.com privacy prof. You can go to compliancehelper.com. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I am Mari Frank, the host of Privacy Piracy, and we've had Rebecca on two times before, and we will continue to have her on because she is so wonderful. So, Rebecca, we got now, we have the first three. We've got, um, first of all, to make sure you have a position that someone is assigned to privacy and security, and hopefully that they are well-educated in both. Um, we've got that you got to have a good policy in writing, and you got to have enforceable policy so everybody know what it is. Then number three, you have to have great training. What about number four? Well, then you need to know where is all of this personal information within the organization because if you think about it, you know, how can you protect information if you don't know where it is and what personal information do you have? So organizations need to define what is personally identifiable information or just personal information. What type of personal information does their organization collect and handle and so on? And then where is it located and how is it collected and disposed of? So they need to create a personal information inventory and determine where it's located at. And that's probably one of the hardest things of all. It definitely is. And, you know, it's funny because a lot of times when I'm teaching my different classes and conferences and so on, when I start talking about, you know, personal information and I ask the different attendees, show of hands, how many of you have actually defined what types of items, information items, are considered as personal information? Many of them have not. I mean, a lot of them have a classification uh, policy, which is good, that talks about, you know, highly confidential or medium or public, but they need to go a step beyond that now to think about, well, what is personal information? Because you can have personal information that crosses those types of data classification labels. And don't they also even need to decide, um, once they understand what they have, don't they even need to decide what they should be collecting in the future and what they shouldn't be? Because if they don't need sensitive personal information, why should they collect it? For example, most attorneys don't need a social security number from their clients. They really don't. Oh, exactly. And that kind of leads to the uh, fifth item is determining the risk then that's involved with the personal information that you have. And even if you need to have it at all, um, doing a, a risk assessment or a privacy impact assessment will help you to identify, like you said, you know, well, we have this information, but why do we need it? You know, we need to not collect it if we don't need it to do business. It's kind of interesting because when I do business with different, you know, retail stores and so on, if they ask me for my Social Security number, I always ask them, well, why do you need my Social Security number? And oftentimes they'll say, oh, well, that's it's a law that you have to collect it. And I'll say, well gosh, I know a lot of different privacy laws. Can you tell me which one that is? Maybe I'm not aware of it. And that's when they say, well, we don't know what law it is. We'll have to check on that. So um, it's kind of interesting. But, uh, yeah, it's definitely something you need to determine the risk then involved. There was one organization I worked with a few years ago. They had a system where they had an online system to collect resumes from people who wanted to work 
for them. And on that system, they collected their social security numbers because they wanted to pre-screen them and do background checks. <laughs> so they collected everybody's social security number along with their resume. And now, I wait said, a minute. Well, was that even transparent that they were going to do background checks? And, and Yeah, it did tell oh. them that that's why they needed to collect it. But I said, well, what do you do with all of those resumes and social security numbers for, you know, all those many, many times more people you do not hire? And the, and the whole background check. Yes, and the whole background check. And they kind of looked and they said, well, we don't do anything with them. I said, well, how long do you main- retain them? And they yeah. said, well, until, you know, the tape, I guess, you know, disintegrates of old age. It was <sighs> something that they just hadn't even thought of. So, you know, there was a new privacy issue. They hadn't even considered the fact that they had information that didn't belong to their customers and it didn't belong to their employees either. But it was a huge amount of uh personal information, the social security numbers from people who had told them they might like to work for them someday. (laughs) So, you know, doing that risk assessment and going through these types of questions with um, the different areas in the company that collect personal information and use it, that's a very good thing. So determining the risk and, and then determining what controls need to be placed to mitigate those risks is a very important activity. So that's the fifth uh, core item that organizations really need to take care of. Now, we don't have a lot of time uh, for the sixth one, so if you could kind of hurry up and tell us what the sixth one is so we oh, will... Sure. <laughs> Definitely. The sixth one, I'll make it short and sweet. That's knowing what are the legal requirements for protecting personal information. And, of course, that is a huge topic, but um, in a nutshell, you need to know what are all of your legal legal requirements? And it's not only just laws and regulations, but now we have industry standards such as uh, the PCI DSS. That's the the standard uh, payment card industry data security standard for credit card processing. And then you need to know what are your contractual obligations, legal obligations. You probably have requirements for security and privacy with your business partners in clauses and contracts that you've never even read before. So you need to determine what all your legal requirements are. So those six things are very, very important for all organizations to do to establish an effective security and privacy program. Well, you are so wonderful. And we are going to send everybody to your website. Well, why don't you tell us which three you want us to send people to to, so they can learn more or call you and see if they can work out a way for you to help them out. Oh, sure. Um, Well, my primary one is uh, www.theprivacyprofessor.com. And if you go to RebeccaHerald.com, that'll take you to the exact same uh, website. I point that different URL to the same place. Um, And I have a lot of information about my training, my services, and tools out there. Also, if you go to compliancehelper.com, this is my new site, my new service for primarily small and and medium-sized businesses who are trying to create a security and privacy program, but they just don't have the personnel or the background or experience or, or the funds to actually create it all on their own. So I've done most of the heavy lifting for them and have uh, policies, procedures, and forms that I've, I can help them to customize and make sure that it fits their program. 
So those two sites would probably be the best ones. And then, of course, I'm on uh, Twitter, as you mentioned. My um, my ID there is Privacy Prof, and uh, so I put out little tidbits of information that helps organizations, hopefully, with addressing security and privacy. Well, you are terrific, Rebecca Harold. We will have you on again next year. Please stay in touch, and we are just so grateful that you joined us and shared your wonderful expertise with us. So have a great day. Well, thank you so much. I sure appreciate it. You have a good day, too. Okay. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank, host of Privacy Piracy. Join us every Monday morning from 8 to 9 a.m. right here. Also visit our website at KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. See our upcoming guests. Listen to the previous archived interviews, download podcasts so you can go jogging and listen to what's going on in the information age. Write us emails about what's important to you and give us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. So have a great day and thank you. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.